Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Hi, I'm Kelly Morledge, and this is my mom, Chris. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. In honor of Mother's Day, we're going to be reading the scripture together today. Our scripture reading is from John 9, 1 through 12. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. This past week, I I had a moment as I was watching my, my daughter, Allie, play I'm not sure if it was her expression on her face or what, but just for a split second, as I was looking at her, all of a sudden I saw my grandmother's face. My grandmother was an incredible woman. She was fiery, but maybe five feet tall, lived in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and she was known as a cook. Everyone knew that Hampy could cook. Yes, her name was Hampy. She was known around Tuscaloosa as just this incredible cook, especially she made these types of cookies that everyone loved. And on Sundays, Sundays after church, she and my grandfather, they would go and make visits, which meant they would pop in unannounced to people's homes. We would hate that now. We wouldn't know what to do with it. But back then, that is what they did. Sunday afternoons, they would take these metal tin uh, containers of these cookies and just drop it off in people's homes. Later on in life, unfortunately, my grandmother began losing her vision. And, uh, and though in many ways her life changed, one thing remained the same, is that she continued to cook. Because she had lived in that home for most of her life, she knew exactly where everything was, and no one was allowed in her kitchen. And she continued to cook three incredible meals a day and cookies until she passed some years ago. And maybe I've been thinking about my grandmother because it's Mother's Day, but maybe I've been thinking about her too just because of the scripture reading that we've already had. And been thinking about what it would be like to live life without being able to see, to be able to live life in the sense of darkness that there is in blindness. And as we find in our scripture reading today, being able to see and being blind is a theme for this chapter in the book of John. So let's go there. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? 
this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples' question kind of highlights a point of view, a perspective that many had in ancient Israel, which is when someone was, was born with this kind, of, uh, this kind of affliction like blindness, it must have been caused by someone's sin. God must have saw their sin and said, sorry, this is the consequence of that, uh, of that sin. So these disciples are asking, so who was responsible? Was it this man or maybe his parents? And we hear questions like this and we might think, how ancient, how dated, uh, we're past that point of view. Like we have science to, 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 to teach us why things happen. But isn't it true that oftentimes when things go poorly in our life, we might ask the question, what did I do to deserve this? And we might even pose that in a prayer. And what we find here is that Jesus, he rarely answers the questions in the form they come to him. And instead, Jesus responds in answering a different question. Verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. So this chapter begins with Jesus seeing and noticing this man who is blind. The disciples see him too, but instead they want to use him like a, as like an object lesson. Like, take this man for, for instance, Jesus. What do we do if some poor person like this has suffered? Who's responsible? Jesus is not interested. He doesn't seem interested to answer the, the who was responsible. Like, why did this happen? Instead, what Jesus is compelled to do is to end the suffering. He wants to, to answer the question, so what now? And the what now is that the work of God is going to meet this man today to bring about healing and restoration. But the way in which Jesus does it is just bizarre. In verse 6, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said to him, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word means sent. Spit in mud? Like, is that really how Jesus is going to perform this miracle? <laughs> I think we would prefer a different version of his miracle working power, especially in a pandemic. We would opt out of having spit in our face. But, like, what is going on here? Like, why is Jesus doing this? Well, I read a bunch of different commentaries and read a bunch of different scholars of, like, what's going on? Why is Jesus spitting in mud and putting it on his eyes? In my conclusion, like we, we honestly just don't know. And quite often when we think about our own life and how God is at work in our own life, uh, we sometimes don't get what he's doing. We don't understand why God is choosing to move in our life in that certain way. But we have to believe that, that there's a purpose for it. And there's a reason why Jesus was compelled to act with mercy. And notice what this man has said to compel Jesus. Notice his declaration of faith. Notice how he fell in Jesus, at Jesus' feet and begged for mercy. What he did to earn this, earn this miracle. So far, this man has said nothing. He has done nothing. Everyone has talked about him, but he has not said a word. This man is, is just there and Jesus sees him. This man didn't ask for his healing. He didn't do anything to prove himself or earn it. He didn't even try to convince uh, that he was worthy of a miracle. He was just a poor, blind beggar, maybe even the eyesore of the community. 
yet Jesus was compelled by seeing his need. So instead of just healing this man through a touch or just saying the words and immediately being able to see, Jesus sends this man with mud on his eyes to this place called the Pool of Siloam. It is interesting uh, that many scholars uh, treat chapter 8 as like a caveat, just kind of like a commentary. So chapters 7 and 9 should go together, maybe even on the same day as how they are reading it. And what happened in John 7 was this. On John 7, Jesus is in the moment uh, of this festival of the tabernacle. There was this incredible festival where the priests would take the water and they would take it into the temple to remind the people of when they when their ancestors were wandering in the desert, that God provided water for them. And it's on that eighth day, the, the greatest day of this festival, that Jesus stood up and said these words, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. So Jesus was standing up in this crowd, this gathering and saying, you know, that re the reminder, the symbol of God's provision for your ancestors while you were wandering in the desert was this living water. And you know what? That's coming from me now. Anyone who comes to me and believes in me, there will be this satisfaction, this water, this provision that will be flowing from within. This miracle of God's provision from within. Interestingly, do you know where the priests in these different days of this festival would go and get the water? Where they would take the water and bring it into the temple? They would do so at the Pool of Siloam, the same place where Jesus is now sending this man with mud on his eyes. He says, I want to send you to the place where, where people expect to experience God's provision. And if you believe in, in me, if you're thirsty for that kind of water, it's going to be provided for you. So let's picture this man wandering in his darkness through, on this crowded, busy day, bumping into people with mud on his eyes, stumbling, wandering, maybe tempted to stop halfway just to find a, a busy corner and go back to begging Maybe, maybe along the way, he was just, he thought about giving up, go back to what he depended upon. Would he actually trust that this man, Jesus, could actually heal him? Would you have kept going? You know, this journey would be the only expression of faith that this man would give. He didn't say anything, but what he did do with this promise from Jesus is he decided to walk this journey with each step being a small expression of his faith in his place of desperation that each step would say i think that what he said is true i think that this is the one who, who could heal me in verse 7 the man went and washed and came home seeing all john says is he went and washed and then he could see i mean Personally, John, I want more than that. Like, what was it like? Like, did, did he wash his eyes and immediately be able to receive a sight? Like, was, did he break into laughter? Did he jump into the pool in celebration? What was it like when he saw his hands for the first time? He, he saw someone smile for the first time. He saw what Jerusalem was like. Did he giggle as he skipped his way home, putting together the voices of people he've heard with their faces? Like, what was it like when he 
bursted into his home and saw his parents for the first time. Like what a moment of celebration. But the celebration did not last long. Right after going home, it's like this man once again became an object of debate. The many neighbors around his home began questioning like, wait, wait, is that really the man that has been born blind and lived all these years blind? No, it can't be. And some people believed and other people didn't. And they were just debating about him, talking about him. And finally, the man broke, the, broke into this debate and said, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. So word began spreading around the town about this, this miracle that Jesus did. And people couldn't believe it. Like people had heard of miracles, but not someone being born blind and now being able to see. And the Pharisees caught wind of it and they asked this man to be brought in. And so he's brought in in front of all the Pharisees. And for the third time in this story, this man now becomes the object of debate. And tragically, the Pharisees begin focusing on the wrong thing. They begin asking the wrong question, not about how this man was healed and delivered and made whole, but how Jesus could do this on the Sabbath. That was their focus. For them, miracles are like Chick-fil-A sandwiches. You can't have them on the Sabbath. And so unable to believe that God would allow Jesus to perform this miracle when he should not, they begin pondering why this sinner can do these kind of things and began asking this man, like, how and why did Jesus do this? And the man didn't know. He just had his experience. And, and they kept on asking him over and over again. And they finally sent him away. And then they weren't happy about it. They brought in his parents. They weren't happy with what they said. So they brought this man back in for a second time. And one of the times he's asked about Jesus, and this man gives an answer that deserves our attention. He said in verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And then this man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This man did not have a nice and tidy theology. Like he didn't have much figured out. But one thing he knew is that he was blind and now he can see. And between those two realities was this encounter with Jesus. And the Pharisees could not argue with that. You know, we need to keep that in mind for a watching world. That there's nothing as compelling as a transformed life. Like there's nothing as compelling and moving than, than being made different. And that's as much true now as it was back then. That when people encounter someone who has been transformed, it's, that's proof of something profound. It, that's more than what words and debate can show. It's, it, it causes people to wrestle with, who do I say this Jesus is? But for the Pharisees, they refused to believe that Jesus healed this man. You could even say that they were blinded to it. Maybe they're blinded by their pride, their defiance, their unwillingness to see. But it was because Jesus did not fall into the framework that they had built for God. And so they dismissed 
this miracle, and they dismissed Jesus. And after the Pharisees grow tired of this recently healed man correcting them on their questions, on their theology, about what they're saying about God, then they said this to the man. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. We could read these words and just think that this man was asked to leave, but you could also read it as this man was kicked out of the synagogue. This is why people were afraid of the Pharisees, that they could actually kick you out of their religious family. And, you know, we have people that experience that still today when things don't fit into the framework of churches. They can be kicked out of that own community. Man, talk about a crazy day. Like this, this day began with this man, this blind beggar that people probably tried to avoid experiencing this healing, becoming the talk of town, but then being questioned, debated, disbelieved, invalidated, threatened, mocked, used, kicked out, brought back in, kicked out again, and left alone. We find him in this moment that he is on his own. I'm sure this man was completely disoriented, but his day was not over with yet. Verse 35, Jesus had heard that they thrown him out, and when he found him, when Jesus found him, Jesus said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now this might seem small, but it's so important. The story begins by Jesus seeing this man. Like that's the first thing that we find in this chapter is that Jesus is, he sees this blind beggar. And now that this, this man is kicked out of the synagogue, it's not like the story says that he's now looking for Jesus, frantic to find him, to thank him, to worship him. No, what instead we find is that Jesus is still seeking him out. He's heard about this man being kicked out, and so he's going to go find him. Because there's one more miracle that Jesus has for him. There's a second healing that Jesus wants to give. Now, this man, he doesn't know that it's Jesus talking to him because he was blind when they had the first interaction. But Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of, of, Son of Man? And this is how this man responds. Who is he, sir? He asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Jesus says, you've now seen him. It's me. As we've read through the gospel of John, one thing I've noticed, I'm sure you have, is that Jesus, he loves to sidestep the crowds. Like he has an incredible ability to escape crowd settings. He doesn't want to be made king. He's not looking for popularity. Yet Jesus comes to this man and reveals himself so clearly. Rarely do we find in this gospel Jesus as clear and forthcoming as we find in this moment. Jesus as, is declaring as simply as he can that I am the Son of Man. I am the Savior that you're waiting for. The only other time that I think that I have read in the gospel uh, so far that he's been this clear is with the Samaritan woman at the well. That it's me. I'm the one that you're waiting for. This is so like Jesus to choose to reveal himself to those who have been deemed furthest from God, most neglected and ostracized, that that is who Jesus is being so clear with. He's making himself known. He's pursuing and going after. So how does this man respond? Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Belief and worship, that is this man's response. 
Can't you imagine him just weeping in gratitude? Can't you imagine him falling to his knees and embracing Christ? Don't you picture him just looking with his like newly discovered eyes and looking deeply in the eyes of Jesus and saying those simple childlike phrases of thank you, thank you. That is what worship is. Worship are simple words of gratitude that Jesus sees us before we see him, that Jesus pursues us. It's not a story about us pursuing Jesus. It's, it's, the, it's a, the, the fact that Jesus wants to find us so that we can be found in him, that this is what it's all about, and that Jesus keeps coming after us, though we might not have it all figured out, though we might not be determined in our pursuit of him, that Jesus wants us to know him and in knowing him, know ourself. But this story is not over with yet. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. I mean, come on, Jesus. We, we, we had the story all, all like nice and pretty tied up with the bow. Don't turn sour on us. But the story has to continue because Jesus has an important lesson to leave us with. With Jesus, the blind will see, and those who can see will be blind. Verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The end. The story's now over. <laughs> now, it's such a confusing way to end this story. I think it's almost like a parable. I think John is wanting us to sit with this and consider the meaning. Now, we need to remember that this is the sixth sign in the book of John. That John talks about these miracles as signs because we should notice at the surface the compassion of Jesus to perform the miracles. But we're also invited to consider underneath that miracle, what is a deeper truth that we are being invited to consider? And what this miracle is teaching us is this paradox of blindness and sight and how Jesus rearranges the table. Those who are blind will now see and those who see will now be blind. What is Jesus up to? Like, what is this sign pointing us to? Well, Jesus comes to those whose lives are dark, who cannot see on their own, who cannot see their way through life, cannot find hope, cannot find healing or meaning. Jesus comes to those who know that they need a Savior and promises them to restore them, give them ability to heal and to see, to see Jesus face to face and to see themselves in life as it truly is. But it's those who can see that in the end will be blind. Those who can see everything on their own, those who have life figured out on their own, thank you very much, that those are the people who are blind in the end. Those who think that they possess the truth they will be the ones who are blind. This is the darkness of those people, is that in their possession of truth, their folly is that they've never understood the truth. 
And it's their wisdom, it's their, in their wisdom that they are found ignorant and foolish. So the story does not end with this man worshiping at Jesus' feet because John wants to leave us with a deeper truth that once we can see, even after we've had encounters with Jesus, be very careful if you think that you have owned the truth and you are sent off by yourself to live. Instead, the only way for us to truly see is to live in constant dependence on Jesus who will show us the truth, who will be the light that will not go out, that illuminates who we are and how we should live. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That is perhaps what this sign is pointing us to. But I want to leave you with a couple questions for just as you process this, as we process this as a community. Where do you need help seeing today? Like, where do you feel like you are stumbling to find your way through life? Where are you in need? The second question, the only expression for faith that this man is giving in the story was his willingness to follow Jesus's call all the way to the end, through the darkness. So what are the small steps of faith that you are being called to do? And then third, if the work of God is a transformed life, where do you long for transformation in your own life? Like, where do you hope and pray that God would make you new and restore you? Friends, out of a great love, Jesus, he sees you. Though you might not be able to see him right now, he sees you and he wants to send you on a journey towards healing and restoration. That he has plans for you, he has a future for you. And though it might not make sense, we are being called to walk one step at a time in this journey of faith. But know that your journey won't end in darkness, but it will end in the great light where you will see your Savior. You will see yourself. You will see what life is all about. So may we be so compelled by this to believe and to worship Christ.